Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, as our kids head back to the Fellowship Hall with Miss Michelle for Kids Church, let me invite you to take your Bible and go to Mark chapter 1. We're going to pick up in uh, verse 9, and uh, I, I guess now we're, you could say we are into Mark. Last week we kind of introduced it. This, this week we, we were right, we were just trucking right along, right? So yeah, last week we began walking through the Gospel of Mark, and we, we were introduced to a guy by the name of John the Baptist. We saw primarily last week that God is a promise-keeping God. We, we saw that he fulfilled his promises to, uh, most importantly, send the Messiah, send the one that was promised to uh, forgive sins, to, to bring God's people back. We also saw that he sent the, the messenger in the person of John the Baptist to uh, precede the Messiah, to prepare the way, to prepare hearts uh, to, uh, to hear his, the Messiah's message. And we saw that John the Baptist had a powerful ministry, uh, calling people to repentance and then baptizing them. But then we saw that when Jesus came onto the scene, John, John fades into the background because he was not concerned with remaining popular. He He wasn't concerned about his own platform or his own ministry. He wanted to proclaim the kingdom of God. And so he hands things off to Jesus, and and John really fades into the background, and we don't see much of him again until uh, he's arrested and then later on killed. And we'll we'll see him a little bit later on in in the gospel. This morning we're going to turn our attention to Jesus, which I guess is a good thing for us to do, right? It's a good good place to focus. Um, and for the first time in, in Mark's gospel, we're introduced to the person of Jesus Christ. Now, each of the four gospel writers ha- has really a unique approach to how they tell the story of the Messiah. For Mark, he, he's going to move in rapid succession, man. He, he moves fast. Um, and so because of that, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't include a lot of the details that the other gospel writers will, uh, will include. Um, and he uses the word immediately a lot throughout the gospel. In fact, we're going to see it at least a couple of times this morning. Immediately, Jesus did this. Immediately, he did that. So, so I mean, this is a sprint through, through uh, the, the story of Jesus is the way that Mark does it. There is an urgency to his message. Now, occasionally, in, in this series, occasionally I'm going to look to the other gospels to fill in some gaps for us, but but here's the thing, I'm not preaching through Matthew and I'm not preaching through Luke or John, we're, we're preaching through Mark, so I want us to focus on what Mark covers rather than spending a whole lot of time talking about what he doesn't cover. Because Mark had a, had a message for his readers, and I think there's a message for us here today, all right? Now there will be some times where I fill in gaps, uh, but really rarely will we be turning to other, other gospels. Um, so we're going to focus on what Mark wants us to know about Jesus, and so that brings us to Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9. So if you have your Bible, let me invite you to turn there. If you've not already done so, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And let's stand as we read the word of the Lord this morning. The word of the Lord says this, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. 
Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and to open up your word. And I pray this morning as, as we're introduced to the person of Jesus Christ in Mark's gospel, that you would open our eyes to, to see what Mark proclaims about Jesus. And for those of us in this room today, whether we've been followers of Christ for years or, or if we're still in that, in that process of coming to know what it means to, to trust Jesus, I pray you would open our hearts this morning to a message of repentance and believing the good news. Pray you would speak through your word this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. So we're going to see three things in, in, these three, in, these, in this passage this morning. Is we really kind of have three scenes from the life of Jesus. And the first thing that we're going to see is Jesus' example. Okay, now, now the first thing that we're told about Jesus, at least in Mark's gospel, is that in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, this is it. This is the first time we're introduced to Jesus. You'll notice Mark doesn't cover uh, the birth narrative. He doesn't cover Jesus as a young child. This, this is it. By, by the time we're, we're introduced to Jesus, he's getting ready to begin his ministry. He came from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, we know from some of the other gospel writers that Nazareth is not a very well-respected place. In fact, upon hearing that, that Jesus was from Nazareth and, and even hearing that maybe he was the Messiah, Nathaniel, one of the, one of the disciples of Jesus, actually asks, he says this, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? In other words, they, like, they were not expecting a Messiah to come from Nazareth. They weren't expecting really anything to come from Nazareth. We're told Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and then look at this, and was baptized in the Jordan by John. Now, last week, we saw, um, as, as Mark described, the, the whole countryside came out to hear John preach and to be baptized by him. So, so, so myriads, dozens, hundreds of people maybe even were coming to John to be baptized, and here we're told that Jesus came and was baptized by him as well. Now, knowing what we know about John's baptism, that it was a baptism of repentance, um, we, we, we need to ask, why was Jesus baptized? Because the, the Bible is very clear that, that he had no sin that he needed to repent of. He, he didn't need to be, as, as, as I'll say when we baptized, he didn't need to be raised to walk in a new life. So why was he baptized? Well, Scripture seems to point to a couple of reasons. First of all, by being baptized, Jesus was affirming John's ministry and his message. In other words, he was saying, yes, John is correct. You should repent and be baptized because the kingdom of God is at hand. Yes, 
John, John is now proclaiming that I am the Messiah. Yes, that is correct. I'm, I'm going to be baptized in, in accordance with that, with that message. I'm going to, and, and I'm going to affirm what John's saying. Yes, you should listen to him. Secondly, by being baptized, Jesus set the example for us, that we should be baptized as a sign that we have, first of all, repented of sins, that we have placed our faith in Christ, and now we seek to follow after him. That's what, that's what baptism is for us. It's a, it's a picture of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. It's a symbol for us saying, I identify with Christ, as a follower of Christ. I want to be known as one of his followers, being baptized just like he was baptized. But also the, the final reason that Jesus was baptized seems to be to show the world that, that he was the Messiah. And, and, and what we see is that immediately, again, right, it says as soon as he came out of the water, that could also be translated immediately, right, immediately after coming out of the water, as soon as he came out of the water, we're told he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. We're told the heavens were torn open, the Holy, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. By the way, that phrase, torn open, referring here to the heavens, will, will later be used to describe how the curtain was torn open after Jesus died on the cross. For, so for just a moment, that, that veil between heaven and earth was lifted. And a voice from heaven speaks. And, and here at Jesus' baptism, we, we, see, we see a picture of the Trinity. We see all three persons of the Trinity right here together at Jesus' baptism. We have God the Father speaking from heaven. This is my Son. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. We see God the Son Jesus being baptized, and we see God the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. We have one of the clearest pictures of, of the Trinity together, operating together right here in Mark's Gospel. We see an important thing happening here where God speaks his approval of Jesus. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And this is actually a direct quote from Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a, is a coronation psalm. It, it would have been written um, as, a, as, as something that perhaps was even read during David's ordination as king. This is what Psalm 2, 7 says. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Now in, that, in, in Psalm, Psalms, it's referring to David. You are my son. It, it, was, a, it was a picture that, that God approved David as king of Israel. And in Mark 1, God the Father uses those same words from Psalm 2 to speak of the approval of Jesus as the true king, the ruler over all, the Messiah. So in these first couple of verses, we see uh, Jesus setting the example of baptism for us. We see him affirming John the Baptist's message. We see God's approval of Jesus as Messiah. Then let's go on to 
verses 12 and 13, and we see Jesus' experience. We're told immediately, again, there's that word. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. So again, we see this fast-paced account. Immediately as Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were torn open, the Spirit of God descended in a, and the voice of God rang out from, uh, from the heavens. Immediately after that, he's driven into the wilderness. In fact, we're told not only was it immediate, but it was purposeful. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. See, Jesus' time of temptation in the desert wasn't an accident. It was a deliberate part of God's plan for his earthly life. In fact, the, the word drove that, that's used here will later be used of Jesus' casting out of demons. We're told that he drove out the demons with power, with authority, and with the Holy Spirit's power and authority, Jesus is driven into the desert. We're told specifically he was there for 40 days being tempted by Satan. Now, if you're familiar with, uh, with Scripture, particularly with the Old Testament, we, we know that 40 is a significant number in Scripture, for instance, we, we're told that Moses spent 40 days on the mountain with God in Exodus. Elijah spent 40 days journeying to the mountain in 1 Kings. After his resurrection, Jesus will spend 40 days with the disciples, as we're told in Acts chapter 1. We know the Israelites spent 40 years wandering in the desert and the, and the fact that Jesus is driven into the wilderness for 40 days should call to our mind Israel's wandering in the desert for 40 years. During that 40 years, they, they failed to trust God repeatedly, almost comically. They, they failed to trust God. And for 40 days, in the desert, Jesus will completely trust and will completely obey God. Now, if you notice, Mark doesn't really give us any details about Jesus' temptation experience. For, for example, Matthew uh, tells us that Satan tempts Jesus with food, that he tempts him with power, and, and even with, with a certainty uh, of knowledge that he's actually the Messiah. You can find all that in Matthew 4 if you really care to to go read that. Mark doesn't give us any details other than simply saying he was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. That's it. That's all we're told. Now, lest we have some outdoorsy types here who think 40 days in the desert, like in the wilderness, sign me up. Like, let's go. Um, it's not quite what happened, okay? It's not, it's not a 40-day camping adventure. It's a 40-day journey of isolation and temptation away from the rest of humanity and that's what mark's getting at when he when he talks about the presence of the wild animals those were his only companions completely cut off 
We know from the other gospel accounts that during this time, it's a, it's a time of fasting for Jesus for 40, 40 days. So that might bring, it, bring us to the question, why was Jesus' temptation necessary? Why, why is that so important? There, there have been a lot of academic debates about whether or not Jesus could have actually sinned. Was that even an option that was available to him? After all, he was 100% human, right? So, um, so does that mean that he could have sinned if he had, if he had so chosen uh, to do so? Well, we also know that he was 100% divine. Now, we see clearly throughout the Gospels that his humanity was weak. For instance, we see him getting tired. We, we see him in a boat uh, later with his disciples, and, and even though the storm is, is raging and, and the disciples are screaming, fearing for their lives, Jesus is passed out, probably as a, a cluing us into to something about the exhaustion that he experienced. We, we certainly see him experiencing human emotions when his friend Lazarus dies, and, and we're told the shortest verse in all, of, in all of the New Testament, simply Jesus wept. During a 40-day fast in the desert, we can assume that he got hungry and tired and that his, his body began to, to feel weak. So why was this necessary? Why, why is it important that Jesus goes to the desert and, and is tempted by Satan for 40 days? Why, why does that, how does that affect me today? Well, the writer of Hebrews clues us in as to why that's so important. Hebrews 4, 15, and 16, the writer says this, for, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. See, the writer of Hebrews just told us that Jesus experienced every temptation that we do in this life and yet was without sin. And, and, and to the writer of Hebrews then, he turns around and he says, Therefore, I can approach the throne of grace boldly. Because Jesus himself will have firsthand knowledge of everything that I experience here in life. He will, he will know what it's like to be tempted. And yet he was without sin. Therefore, when I go to him, I can find mercy and grace to help in my time of need. See, Jesus' temptation means that he can identify with us. And, and while we don't know exactly the, the kind of spiritual attacks that he experienced, we do know that, that he experienced isolation. We know he experienced some questioning from Satan, some twisting of, of God's word, as, as we see in Matthew 4. A questioning about his real purpose. We can be sure he experienced exhaustion and hunger, Maybe he even felt some level of despair as he's out there all by himself. However, even as he's alone in the desert, we're told that he was not alone. 
Because we're told that angels came and ministered to him. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. Um, it's interesting the word used to, to talk about the angels coming and ministering to him is, is the same word from which we get the English word deacon. So they came and they, they served him. They comforted him. While he was alone in the desert, we, we can rest assured that he wasn't truly alone. We can be certain that the Holy Spirit went with him. And we're told the angels ministered to him. And here's the thing. The same is true of us during difficult experiences of life. Even when it feels like you may be alone, as a follower of Christ, you've been promised that first and, first and foremost, you have the presence of the Holy Spirit with you. Secondly, we have a, a promise from Jesus himself in, in Matthew 28 that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And three, just, just as we're told here that angels came and were ministering to Jesus, it, it could be that we have angels ministering to us in ways we can't even imagine. I don't have time to get into a full theology of angels, all right? Um, um, suffice it to say they don't look like Cupid, not little naked babies with bows and arrows, okay? But the Bible's very clear that angels exist and they, they, they are servants of Almighty God. What, what we do gain from Jesus' experience is that even in isolation, even in temptation, God has not abandoned us. God is walking us through those experiences and we have a high priest in Jesus Christ who can identify with us what it is to experience trials and temptations and frustrations and despair in this life because he experienced them as well. May that be an encouragement to us. And the last thing we're going to look at is Jesus' exhortation. Now, it just means teaching. So if you're taking notes and you want to put teaching down, that's fine. Exhortation just matched the other two, okay? So for the sake of alliteration, that's what I went with. Look at verses 14 and 15. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. We're told this happened after John arrested. So we aren't given a time frame for, for how long this takes. But John's life serves as a forerunner for Jesus' life in Mark's gospel. So remember, we, we saw last week that um, the, the John the Baptist was actually prophesied. He was promised to come as one who would prepare the way for Messiah. And we see that not just in the, the way that he declared and, and declared the kingdom of God and called people to repent, but John's life and his ministry really serves as a, as a template, as a pattern for what Jesus' life will be. Mark came proclaiming, or excuse me, John came proclaiming the kingdom of God, and Jesus will initiate that kingdom. John is arrested. We know that Jesus is also eventually arrested. And John's eventually killed for proclaiming the good news, and we, we see that of course, know that Jesus will be killed as well. 
What happens is after John was arrested, Jesus picks up really right where John the Baptist left off, proclaiming the gospel, or as it says here, the good news of God. That is, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now specifically, we're told that, that Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the gospel. Again, this is significant, especially from a prophetic standpoint, because if we go back to Isaiah chapter 9, we see this at the beginning of chapter 9. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. In Galilee, in this place where people had walked in darkness, they would see a great light. Now, if verse 2 there sounds familiar, it's because we read that every year at Christmas. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. Light has dawned on the land of deep darkness. And just a few verses later, in verses 6 and 7, we'll hear, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We'll, we'll talk about that at, at Christmas time. What Mark's getting at here is that Jesus is fulfilling that promise, again, that was given 700 years before he was born. He's proclaiming the good news in Galilee. That to a people who had walked in darkness, a light was shining. And he declares this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. That's an interesting phrase. He could, he could go through proclaiming uh, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. But that, that's, not, that's not the words we're given. We're, we're, what we're told is that the kingdom of God has come near. See, Jesus in his earthly life, he inaugurated the kingdom. It, it was beginning. And now, as, as we await, as we live in that period between Jesus' ascension and his coming again, we wait for the final consummation when, when Jesus returns. We refer to this as the already not yet of the kingdom. It's been inaugurated. It is already and, and yet it's not yet. It's, it's been paid for. We see glimpses of it now. Meanwhile, we await its full arrival. This is not incredibly different from ordering a package in the mail. You've paid for it. It's been charged to your credit or debit card. It's yours. Now you'll wait for a guy in a big brown truck to drop it off at your house. And isn't there a, a, a sense of anticipation for, for, for when that arrives and when you finally hear that doorbell and that thing that you've been waiting for is there on your doorstep? We're in that 
waiting period. The kingdom of God's been inaugurated. It's been, it's been paid for by the blood of Christ. It's, it is a guaranteed thing. It's, we see glimpses of it. We await for it to be fully realized. So, so what do we do in the meantime? Well, Jesus proclaimed that too. He said, repent and believe the good news. First thing here, we're called to repent, to turn away from sin and to turn to Christ. As, as I've shared before, to repent means to turn around. It means I was walking this way, and now I'm going to turn around and walk this way. I'm going to stop pursuing a life of sin and self, and I'm going to pursue Christ. Then they're told to believe, to have faith in Christ, to trust what we know about him. For, so for those who, who heard Jesus' message, the response in those days was to trust him, to believe what he said. For us on, on this side of the cross and on this side of Jesus' ascension to heaven, the call is for us to repent and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now it's, a, it's certainly a call to an initial action. There is a moment where you must choose to repent and believe. But it's also a continuous action to keep on repenting, to keep on believing. In fact, if, I think if I could describe the Christian life in its most basic sense, it would be this, a continual pattern of repenting and believing. A daily walk of repenting and believing. See, there was a time when I made a decision to follow Christ. I was six years old. I was at a Royal Ambassador track meet in Lubbock, Texas. Okay, listen, so I'm a Southern Baptist as it gets. All right? I was saved. I was raised in a Southern Baptist church, saved in an RA track meet. Um, did mission friends when I was, okay, like, listen, I am, I am a Southern Baptist as it comes, all right? Surrendered to ministry at Glorietta for crying out. Now, now known as the biggest loser campus, but then it was something completely different, okay? When I was six, I, I repented of sin. I, I turned, I turned away from, a, from sin, and I believed, at least as much as, as my little six-year-old heart could believe, I, I believed, and I placed my faith and trust in Christ. Now, I think the Bible teaches pretty clearly that at that moment, I was saved. My, my life was hidden with Christ in God. All my sins were forgiven, and I was promised eternal life at that moment. Now, in the 30 years since then, each day has been marked by, guess what? Repenting and believing. And even though I've been walking with Christ for over 30 years, I still have to repent every day. I, I, I don't know when that perfection comes. I have not found it yet. And if you ask Michelle, I don't think I'm anywhere close, okay? I still have to repent. I still have to believe. Now, now, look, I believe firmly in the security of the believer, okay? I believe my future with Christ was secured on that day when I was six years old. But the Christian life is a continual pattern of repenting and believing. God's still at work in me. And he's still at work in you. Don't give up. 
Don't lose heart. The kingdom of God has come near in Christ Jesus. All right, so how do we respond then to this text before us as as we close? Well, the the last thing that we covered is really the most important, and that is that we want to repent. We, We need to repent and believe. Maybe like me, you've been a believer for a while. That's great. Repent and believe. Ask the Lord to reveal those areas of of your heart where where there's still sin and darkness, where you're still tempted to not believe, where you're tempted to not trust. Ask Him to, to root those out so that you might believe. Every single day, follow Jesus closely, knowing that you're safe in Him knowing that he's not going anywhere. He's not going to leave you behind. Like, there is no quota of sins where you, like, you know, you hit that last one and he's like, well, it's been a good run. I'm sorry. Oh, that that doesn't happen. Trust him and follow his example of proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the gospel, calling friends, neighbors, relatives, Co-workers, random strangers in Walmart to repent and believe. By the way, if you don't know how to do that, join us beginning on Wednesday night, March 4th. We're going to talk all about it. Now, maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus yet. You'd say, I, I, I just, I'm not sure maybe you know, about this whole Jesus thing. I, I don't know. Um, let, let me plead with you to repent and believe the gospel. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. I'll, I'll, I'll be down front and I would love to visit with you and, and share with you how you can come to know Christ. After the service is over, I'll be out in the foyer and you can even just pull me aside and, and be like, hey, Kyle, I have questions. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really know like, how this, this whole thing works. Listen, I would love to visit with you about that, how you can tell you how you can come to know Christ. Maybe you're here, you're a follower of Christ, but you've never followed his example of baptism. I'd love to visit with you about, I'd love to visit with you about that as well. We, we don't believe there's anything magical that happens when you're baptized. We don't believe we have holy water up there. We, we do believe that, that it's the first step of obedience for a follower of Christ. Again, if you have questions about that, you can find me after the service and, and ask those as well. Let let me leave us with this this morning. Two-word encouragement. Follow Christ. Follow him in his example of baptism. Follow his example of resisting temptation with the Holy Spirit's power even in the toughest of circumstances and follow his message. Follow his example of proclaiming the good news of the coming of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word, for for the the examples that we're given here of Jesus, of his setting the example for us in baptism, his showing us how to resist temptations, his example of, of 
being alone in the desert and yet not alone because your presence was with him. Your angels were sent to, to care for him. As we walk through times of wilderness in our own lives, may we believe that you're with us just like you were with him. And may we follow the example that he set for us in proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, that we would take it to heart, we we would be models of what it means to repent and, and believe, not looking for a life of perfection, but looking for a a life of progressing in holiness as we come to know you more. May we follow his example and obey his command to proclaim the gospel to the world around us. Give us strength, give us boldness, give us courage where we need it. Help us to walk with you each and every day. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you this week.